and uh, very important. Uh, it's a new season for us, and and you know Jay coming in to be our worship leader. If you weren't here uh, when we set Jay in, uh, he is our new worship leader. You know Jay got set in a couple weeks ago, and uh, and he was scheduled to have surgery this last week, and he wasn't going to be here today. Uh, but he decided to push that out. He said, you know, I think it kind of be better for me to be in the you know, on the platform for at least a month before I get my surgery. <laughs> uh, why don't you give Jason a hand clap? He gets us all pumped up and inspired. If you're, if you're, new, <laughs> if you're new to Gateway, uh, trust me, you can be sitting in the middle of a message and you're going to hear an amen from over there. And if you're falling asleep, you will wake up, I promise you. And uh, the Bible says this, that let the learned in the house say amen. And all too often, we don't say amen enough when we hear something that resonates in us, that we've read in the scriptures, that the Spirit of God has spoken to us, and we know it to be true, and it should have that prompt to us to say, amen. Did you know that, that even as I preached you today, this is not to be a monologue, but it's to be a dialogue? Did you know that? Amen. I get that I'm up here and I'm communicating an overall message, but it is meant to be something to where we actually connect and there's a response from the body. Just as in worship that as we sing a song, the goal isn't to sing songs to the congregation. Did you know that? The goal is to sing songs to God. And the worship team as a, as a leadership team lead us in that place of worship. And we follow in there, but just as we heard your voices today. Matter of fact, Jay said this to me, I think it was the first week that, um, the week that we said amen, that we could hear the voices of the congregation rising above the voices of the worship team. Let me say that's the overall goal of worship. The goal of worship is not for this to be so loud and so much going on up here that we never hear the congregation. Because let me submit this to you. God's greatest interest is to hear all of us together lifting his name on high. Amen. And so it's the same in the midst of a message that when you're hearing the word of God, that it should resonate. And there should be things that cause you to respond. That response may be an amen, but sometimes it may be an oh me. Come on now. You hear something, and you're like, oh, me. Oh, that's me. God's challenging you. See, the, the, the inspiring part of it, the things that resonate that, that are the uh, instructional. In other words, you know, I'm doing that. that. That really encourages me. I've been following that in my life. And so we feel very good about that, and we feel inspired by that. It's when we hear the things that are, uh, you know, if you will, correction, right, and reproof that it's like, oh, me. Oh, my goodness, that just challenged me. So the word of God is not just meant to inspire us, it is meant to, to challenge us. Remember this, if you look at the life of Jesus, you read through the scriptures, you're going to see a constant place where he's inviting people to come and follow him. And then the next thing you know, he's challenging them. Isn't that right? And in the challenge, sometimes people abandon him, but others dig a little bit deeper and go on a little bit further. Amen? God always wants to go a little bit further. He wants us to to connect with him and to go deeper than we've gone before. And here's what I'll submit to you. No matter how deep you've gone with God, no, how, no matter how much you know about God or know in your relationship with God, you can always go further than you are today. Amen? And so today I want to share with you um, about the generous life, living a generous life. Now let's first think about uh, heaven and all its generosity, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that's when God gave his son. When we didn't deserve it, that is when God gave his son. And that's what shows for the characteristic of God, that he is a generous God. That we don't deserve it, but he does it anyway on our behalf. 
And what does he do? He doesn't just give something. He gives the greatest that he could possibly ever give, and that is his only begotten son, to die on that cross. Now, it's very important to understand, why is that so generous? Because Jesus is the purchase price for our sins. The, the, the Bible says this, he's the propitiation, which means he's the purchase price. A price had to be paid to buy us back from slavery. Satan got us, uh, if you will, we all were born slaves to sin because of Adam, the original uh, uh, man God created in the, in the Garden of Eden. That in, that in that moment where he has this encounter with, with Lucifer, with Satan, what happens is the transaction takes place. What, what, what's Satan selling in the garden? Satan says this to Adam. He says, uh, based on uh, eating the, the fruit of, of all God's creation, you have a tree that God set in the midst of the garden, which was known as the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only tree that God forbade man to eat from. It's like, well, well, why would God do something like that? Because he created us free will agents. He created us in his image. And the only way that we would, would be able to, to, to be that kind of creation is to have choice. To be like God is to have choice. Therefore, God has to set choice uh, ever present right there before them in the garden. They're going and eating from every tree. But this tree you're not allowed to eat from because the day you eat of it, You'll give up the life that I gave you, the pneuma, say pneuma, the breath that I breathed into man. Let me say this, pneuma, spirit. God breathed his spirit into mankind. And the day you eat of that tree, what will happen is, is you will die, spiritually speaking. Your spirit man will die. And you go on to live in the flesh for a little while. Your soul will function but not at its full capacity. Your mind, your will, and your emotions will continue to function, but you are dead, spiritually speaking. And that's why later on in Scripture it says that when the second Adam came, that's Jesus, he was the second Adam, the choice that Adam gave up by eating from the tree, when the devil said, have God said that you can't have from every tree in the garden? And the lie gets peddled and bought, sold and bought by Adam, sold by the devil, bought by Adam, that if he eats from this tree, he'll be as God. He was already like God. He was about to give up being like God and become as mere mortal man. Come on now. And so Satan sells that bill of goods that you'll know good from evil. Well, great. And all of us were born into that same deception, into sin. And by the way, without choice. We're born into it. You know, hey, look. You know, uh, Daniel's got three little babies. It's great to have my grandkids in. Now I've got to take off and go do a youth camp. It's going to be great, but I want to stay with my grandbabies. Um, but in all of that, uh, look, you don't have to teach a child to sin. One day they just start lying to you, and you're like, what the, where, where did that come from, right? Don't you lie to me. You, didn't have to te- you don't have to teach them to sin. They, they get that pretty easy. You have to teach them what leads them into righteousness. And the only thing that will ever lead them into righteousness, none of us are good enough. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's none good, no, not one, right? We fall short of God's glory, and it's only salvation through Jesus Christ are we made righteous in him. Amen? Because the Bible declares that you are, say, I am. You are the righteousness of God. Key in Christ. You can be righteous no other way. So when you think about generosity, the reason why this is generous is because it's God's gift to mankind. 
to give his son that we might, again, have the choice to be like him. When Jesus died on the cross, when he died there, what he did was he handed back to every single one of us the ability to eat from the tree of life. He is, the, he is life itself, isn't that right? You know? And, and when you think about him being life, that we get to partake of Christ and all that he is as we read the scripture. Here's, the, here's why it's so important to understand that, that, that reading the Bible and getting the word of God in you. Why? Because every time you're reading the Bible, what you're doing is you're partaking of that tree. How do I know that? Because the word, logos, the logos is Jesus. And it becomes rhema when the spirit, when pneuma, when God breathes upon those words as you're reading them, when he breathes upon you and you're receiving the Holy Spirit, you're coming back to life. Isn't that right? What did Jesus do? Jesus breathed on his disciples. He comes to a point. He's been walking with them, speaking the word of God. The kingdom of God is like unto. The kingdom of God is like unto. On and on and on and on. Story after story after story. And it comes to a point. He's going to be sending them out. It's moving towards his crucifixion. That final moment when he's actually going to commission them and say, now you go and do. Right? What I've taught you to do. But I'm not sending you out to do that in your own power he breathed on them and he said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Once again, you go back. He breathes on them just as God breathed into Adam. He breathes on his disciples. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive pneuma, spiritual life. And at that, of course, we know that, that um, when the disciples answer that commission, I'm, I'm covering a lot of scripture, saints. I'm going from Genesis to Revelation right now. And the idea is this, is that in all the scriptures, the stories you're going to read, the teachings you're going to find, and everything that you find there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. There in Mark's God's most generous gift to mankind is his son, but not only his son, but that you have written words a love letter to you. It's like, man, everything I read in there doesn't seem like love. Well, make no mistake about it, it is. You get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of what took place in the Garden of Eden when, when man gave up the life that God breathed into him. And you get to see it move up to this point to where Jesus gives us the second Adam, gives his life to restore hope, to restore choice. You get to choose. No one can make you give your life to Christ. No one can make you eat from the tree of life. But if you choose to eat from the tree of life, rather than continue to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which our daddy Adam submitted us all to, right? All of a sudden, you start to come back to life. You start to get it. You start to understand the generosity of God and therefore are inspired to hopefully be generous yourself. Can you say amen? So with that, I want to say that the reason why Christianity differs from all other religions, and, and really Christianity in and of itself is not a religion. We know that the Bible teaches that pure and undefiled religion is uh, ministry to widows and orphans. That's the only place you really see um, a, an address of within the, the, the scriptures of, hey, you know, uh, religion. The, the pursuit for us is not religion, but relationship with Christ Jesus. That through a relationship, a personal relationship with him, to accept what the sacrifice that Jesus made, to accept that sacrifice, is to be led into a restored relationship with God the Father. 
And in being restored in that relationship, what happens, we receive the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to guess at this thing. We've got the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. But the key is being in the Word so that we can understand that. Now, Christianity, if you will, and then you take Islam, Buddhism, uh, Hare Krishna, every other religion that you'll see, you're going to find that all mapped out to where if you do all these works, you're going to attain status. You'll attain your place with God. I don't know about you, but that does not point to a generous God. That points to a God that's looking, you know, to cash in on you, if you will. It's like, yeah, but you just talked about us giving. That's all about establishing a covenant relationship. That's all that that is. And by the way, we don't give out of law or necessity of men. What we do is we give with a cheerful heart is what God asks us for. We're going to see that here in a second. But, but in that, we have to see that God sets up to where he will give the gift so that we are able to come in freely and follow him. And, and get this, you can't make salvation better for yourself. You can't like one-up it and, and make it better than the person sitting to your right and left. Jesus did the work that was necessary, and once that is accepted, we're all on an equal plane with regard to God. Can you say amen? Now, it's up to us how we work out that salvation that has been so freely provided. In other words, do I know how to live my life for the kingdom of God? Am I willing to yield to the spirit of God to guide me into truth, to guide me in the direction that God wants me to go with regard to living in this earth and not being of it? What's that have to do with? Once you get saved, you understand, you become a part of the household of God, the family of God in heaven. And when you do, you're here for a temporary moment, but forevermore you'll be with the Lord. It'll come to that place. The Bible refers to it as being a sojourner, that, that we're actually just passing through here, going to where we're really from. Now, I don't know about you, but that also depicts God as being very generous to be where we were and then be invited up to be, if you will, royalty, to be king's kids, to be to be uh, heirs, joint heirs with Christ Jesus, not left to ourselves. but hey, you know, I've made you a part of my family, and therefore you are entitled to the inheritance. Come on now. Why does God do that? He's still showing he's a generous God. God never stops showing that he's a generous God. Did you know that? It's we that stop connecting with God in a way that acknowledges him as being generous. And it's important for us to know that if we do that, then we rob ourselves. It's not God robbing us. Say, God, God is not God. robbing me. We rob ourselves because we don't come to him as he is and understand that when we come to him and acknowledge him as he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is a, there is a connection we have to have with him. It's, it's kind of like this, that when... If we approach God and it's just kind of like, hey, I want to get what I can get from you and I really don't care about you. How many of you would respond to your kids and say, yeah, let me just do whatever you want me to do? Why? Because you would teach them to, to be horrible children. Spoiled brats, right? They would never care about anybody but themselves. And how many of us realize that God's a better parent than us? And so there are lessons he teaches us He's not trying to withhold from us. What he's doing is he's inviting us. Here it is. He's inviting us to come his way, knowing everything that he offers, but then challenging us to come his way and do it his way. Come on now. 
hey, God, I'm going to come your way, but uh, you need to do this my way. Could you imagine all of us dictating to God that he needs to do it our, our way? God lines it out so that we have some semblance of an understanding of how we need to approach God. He is God. We are not. And if we approach him and honor him as he is worthy to be honored, then what happens is, is we'll find that generosity has no shortage in our life where God is concerned. Now with that, let me read to you out of 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. It says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Is that confusing to anyone? He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows generously will also reap, right, generously. Is that confusing? It's not confusing. It's pretty clear. God wants to make it clear. Listen to this. Each man should give what he has decided. Who's he God leaving that up to, by the way? He's leaving it up to you. What he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. It's like, great. Here's the thing. Great. It's my decision. I don't want to do anything. Do you think that's what God is? Is that what he's after in that? When you go and read. So, so in other words, when you read that first part and it, and it comes to this, it's kind of like, um, yeah, I want to sow sparingly so that I reap sparingly. I don't want to sow generously so I can reap generously, right? It, it, it's not to be out of compulsion. It's not to be something that we'd be angry about. Let me tell you a quick story to kind of give you an idea. There was a man in Tampa, Florida. Um, he and his wife went through a divorce. And he was ordered by the court to pay alimony to her. So for 14 years, he's paying alimony to his wife until, you know, of course it gets to the, the completion of what the, the court had decided that, that he was going to pay alimony. He gets to the final payment of like $182 and, and whatever cents. And he takes a shirt and what he does is on the back of it, he draws a check on the back of it and he writes it out just like a check would be. Everything's done exactly the same and he writes it on there. And he sends it to her. Here it is. The shirt off my back. Cash your final payment. You want to know? The bank actually took that shirt as payment. Had his account. No, everything was just like the check would be. But the bank took it as his final payment. Here, here's the moral of the story. If you don't give out of love and generosity, then only bitterness will fill your heart. That's the point that God's trying to make here. He loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to give because we want to give. But the first part of that scripture is trying to teach us that, hey, um, this leads. So if you sow sparingly, it's going to lead to sparing, reap, sparingly reaping. If you sow generously, it's going to lead to reaping generously. The goal there is not God saying, hey, you don't have to do anything or don't worry about it. The goal there is, hey, I'm giving you an invitation to give, to be generous like I'm generous towards you. It's your choice. It's your decision. And if you decide to follow God his way, here's the invitation. But I challenge you, give this way. So what does that come down to? That comes down to us investigating, inspecting our own heart according to the word of God in prayer and asking the Holy Spirit, listen, to guide us into all truth. The, the moment I get a revelation of understanding that, that I might have or, or be blessed or life might be going well for me, but it's about me, then I'm not like my Savior. Come on. Remember that thing I told you about saying amen? 
The moment that it's all about me, I'm no longer like my Savior. The moment that, you know, I realize the things that I'm doing is to lead me to be like my Savior. And if I embrace those things and I become more and more like Jesus, what happens is, is, do you know that that I'm never, you know, he was never lacking. Did you realize? You you realize that, right? He He never lacked. Think about it this way. Taxes came up. We're a ways away from taxes, so that's a good thing, right? But taxes came up for Jesus. How many of you, like, tax time comes up and you're like, woohoo, tax time? Most of us are like, gosh, tax time. Tax time came up for Jesus, and by the way, for Peter, too. And, and, and they're like, hey, you know, um, where's your taxes at? Jesus tells Peter, hey, go down and go fishing. And that first fish that you catch, pull him up and then grab the coins out of his mouth and uh, take them and pay our taxes. You want to know what Peter ended up doing? He followed the word of Jesus. Follow the word of Jesus. Listen. Follow the word of God. He goes and he fishes. He catches a fish. He pulls that fish up. And would you know that it had in its mouth exactly what Jesus told Peter it would have? Now, I don't know about you, but Peter didn't grow up reading scripture. And it's like he he read like Peter's going to go fishing and he's going to have taxes to pay, and Jesus is going to have taxes to pay, and, and I'm going to go fishing, and then I'm going to find those tax dollars in that fish's mouth and go pay my taxes. He didn't grow up reading the Word of God, and that's there. No, what he had was the living Word. See, we have the written Word of God, and then there's the living Word of God. When we, get, when we start to get into that relationship with Jesus to where we understand that our interaction, it's like, this is my need, this is where I'm at, and I call upon him, and I have that living relationship with him that I may not read in there. Derek's going to have this situation, and then he's going to go and do this and that and the other, but at the moment that I need God to work on my behalf, when I'm connected with him and I'm excited about it, I'm generous toward what God calls me to be generous toward, God is going to be generous towards me when it comes time to reaping. Why? Because I'm generous when it comes time to sowing. When that moment comes, I'm going to find out that I'll reap where I have not sown. The Bible actually says that, that there comes moments in our life where we reap where we have not sown. Did you know that? Now, it refers to salvation, seeing souls come to Christ. But I want you to know that uh, this is the thing. As long as as the earth remains, the scripture says, what remains? Can anybody tell me? You learn, folk. Well, what does that say louder? Seed time and harvest. Now, you go to the grocery store. Will you find lettuce there? Will you find, will you find uh, steaks there? Do you know how important seed time and harvest is for the steaks you like to eat? Come on now. You want to pull up to the table and, and snack down on a steak, guess what? That steak's got to have something to eat. And what's that coming from? Seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. And the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man who went out to sow seed. Come on now. A farmer who went out to sow. The kingdom is all about sowing and reaping. We need to be like our God when it comes to sowing and reaping. And that doesn't just apply to your money, by the way. Let's move on. 2 Corinthians 9.11. It says, you'll be made rich in every way. In some ways, in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Why does God want to make you rich? So that you can what? Be generous on some occasions? Every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. Everything comes back to honoring God with our life. Amen. 
And when we do that, we are in the purpose of God. Uh, something decided, if you will, uh, what do you want? What, it, it's something decided, something you make up in your own heart, in your own mind. This is what I want to do to honor the Lord. Why is that important? Because then you have a plan, and it's something that you can follow through with. And it doesn't end up being to where God gets the leftover from you. Come on now. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to give our first fruits to God, not our leftovers. You know what I find for most folks who don't have a plan when it comes to being generous with their life? On every side, that what happens is, is they run out. They run out of time. They run out of money, if you will. And they also run out of what? Their talents. They run out of the energy to actually use what God has gifted them to do, what they've been trained to do to serve the kingdom of God because I have so much going on, I really can't offer anything to God. I want you to know that it's so, so important to be like your Savior, to live a generous life. Look, he had it made, you understand that? You know where he was sitting at when he decided to come here and save us, to be generous towards us? Anyone? In heaven. Do you know that he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God Jesus in other words Jesus is saying he's the son of God right he comes in human form but Jesus the son did not consider it robbery to be equal with God he's one of the Godhead father son Holy Spirit he didn't consider it robbery that he was equal to God right but the Bible said he humbled himself and became a servant and in humbling himself to become a servant what he did is he established generosity God's generosity towards mankind when we, look, we could consider ourselves to be at whatever status we are in the different areas of our life. But if we could come to that place of humbling ourselves and become a servant in those areas, what, what happens is, is that that's where we become more like Jesus. Amen? So, I want to submit this to you. Here's the thought. What is my plan for generosity? What is my plan for generosity? Do you have a plan for generosity? And if you do, what does it look like? Now, I want to help you with a few areas today that where I feel like if we think of the, the Good Samaritan. How many remember the Good Samaritan? There was a priest. There was a, a, a rabbi, you know, a Pharisee that walks uh, by a man that had fallen among thieves. And they cross over to the other side. One looks at him and kind of like, wow, that looks pretty bad and moves on. But it's the Samaritan that comes along. The one that no one would expect to come along and live a generous life that decides to live a generous life toward the man who fell among thieves. Now when Jesus is telling that story, he's telling that story of a fellow Jew that had fallen among thieves. Samaritans and Jews had nothing to do with one another. He's talking about uh, where the disciples are like, well, who, are, who is my neighbor? You know, who, who is my neighbor? Because he's saying, you know, love the Lord your God, the commandment he gives them, the new commandment. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, soul, and strength. Uh, and then the second's like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? And he tells that story, and he gets to that point, and he says, there was a Samaritan, right? And his response to that Jew, they having nothing to do with one another, he responded, how? And I want to tell you that he gave of his time, he gave of his talent, and he gave of his treasure to help that man. So, this is the first point under that. In your plan, write this, I will intentionally share my time. How will you intentionally share your time? Take a moment there. Take a moment there and think. How will you intentionally share your time? And I'm going to do this. 
how I intentionally share my time with my church, my family, and the world. Write that in there in those, those three spots. And, and I know that you may not be able to write everything in there right now, but I'm hoping to prompt you to think about it. Well, pastor, my family needs to be first. No, I, I beg to differ with you. God needs to be first. When I say my church, what I'm saying is, is that you're part of establishing a godly spiritual community that your family is able to be a part of to grow up in, in spiritual things. That doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to give the church, uh, you know, uh, 90% of my week, and then I'm going to keep 10% back from my family. No, what I'm saying is give the first fruits. Think in your plan that I want to give God the best of my time. Do you know that Sunday is considered to be the first of your week, right? Do you know that there's a scripture that says that at the beginning of the week, at the first of the week, lay aside, in other words, what you commit to give to the Lord. And I would challenge you, what do you commit to give to the Lord Look, not just coming to church to receive something, but you're coming to church to give something. Here's why I say that. If you are saved, if you know what it is to, 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 to have the love of Christ fill your heart, to be forgiven of your sins, I want to submit to you eight of ten people in Colorado Springs do not know what that is. And they need your time. Your church needs to be a place that people come to. And when they walk in, they are met with service they're met with generosity they're met with love that you you're willing to come here not just to receive but to give of your time to help make this the most loving community it can possibly be could i get an amen for that and i promise you then uh you'll intentionally share your time with your family i promise you it will never rob you to be a part of your local church helping it be the best that it can be that your children are a part of that and when they when they come to church they're excited to come to church. Now, I hear that all the time. Make, make sure you understand this message is not to, um, to spank the church. This message to, is to encourage the church to continue to do that and for us to remain generous. No matter, no matter how much um, we accomplish, no matter how much we do to understand there are more people in Colorado Springs on the road to destruction, on the road to hell, than there are on the road to heaven. And it's important that the church never lose sight of its mission. And that it will always require us to be willing to give our time. Now, why do I say my church under time? Because Sunday mornings still, still are the most evangelistic day of every week. Are you inviting somebody to come with you? And when they come with you, are, are you a part of making this a place where they're excited to come and they're impacted by the life and the love of God? Can you say amen? So uh, intentionally share your time, your church, your family, and your world. Where do you work? Where do you play? You know, where do you go to school? You know, what's all those places that you frequent that you can find a way to share your time? That may be the smallest thing. I, uh, um, there was a, Joe, can I share quickly? I read on Facebook. Uh, Joe, Joe and Mandy, they're coming back from Denver, wasn't it? Was it Denver? Heading back from Denver. Uh, and Joe, he, he goes all good Samaritan because he sees this guy kind of off the side of the road, but he's not in a safe spot. There's no lights. Joe pulls his Dodge, what is it a, what, what's the truck? Ford, is it an F-152? Yeah, it's a monster, it's bigger than mine. Uh, just a gorgeous truck, right? You want to trade? You'd trade right now, wouldn't you? He pulls in behind, got his lights on, you know, to protect this guy because he's like in harm's way. He's not off to the side of the road on the right, he's off to the left in a dangerous spot. And so he pulls his truck up behind, he's got his lights on. And he's helping this person out, and you know, because he's like, man, this person's going to get killed. And wouldn't you know it, clip, bam, somebody hits his truck. 
And he gives of his time, right? He gives of his talent because he's there helping, trying to get this person, you know, whatever they need to get fixed to get out of the right place. And wouldn't you know it, he ended up giving a little bit of his treasure. <laughs> and I promise you this, you know, while the insurance may fix the truck, uh, there's still a deductible that comes with that, isn't it? And so it costs you something to help that person. That's, help, that's the world, taking your time for the world. Now, the next one, I will intentionally use my talent to share Christ. I'll use my talent and share Christ with my church. I don't think I need to go too deep there, do I? With my church, with my family, and with the world. You know, the Bible says not to just be hearers of the world, but to be doers as well. And I want to challenge you as you go home with this today that what you'll do is you'll give thought under these areas a little more intentionally than you have time to do it here today. But how will you use your talents to share Christ? With, in your church? It's like, well, people come into church, they don't need you to share Christ. Oh, no. Let me tell you, this message has less impact on people than your relationship with them. It is a fact. Most people come to Christ. Now, it may come at a young age, but most people come to Christ also. The other statistic that goes there, the second highest statistic, is because a friend invited them or a friend's interacting with them. I share my message today, and some people may go home, gosh, man, it's awful demanding. But if you're learned in the Scriptures, you understand that in this short period of time, I cannot share the full context that needs to be shared of Scripture so that it would understand that it's not that God's placing a demand on you. It's that God wants to bless you, and the best place to be blessed is to be under his, to be under him in the place that he's called you to be, not out on your own. You know, all we like sheep have gone astray. We go our own way. We go do our own thing. Using that, that example of a shepherd and a flock, that when a sheep gets off away from the flock, that's where they pray for the wolves and for the lions and the bears and so on. This is where they get picked off and destroyed. You're safest in a flock when you're sheep. Amen? And so the third one there... I will intentionally share my treasure. I will intentionally share my treasure with my church, my family, and my world. Need to say more about money? Said enough about it? Um, except for this. Nothing makes you more nervous when somebody's talking about your money. Nothing makes me more nervous. When somebody starts talking about, hey, you know, I got this thing going on. Hey, would you like to give some money to that or put some money into that? It's like, you know, I... Because I know that my house, my cars, you know, with the security of my family, the, the food that goes in their mouth, so on and so forth, my money has a lot to do with that. But I want you to know that the Bible says this. This is what the psalmist said. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. Never. Say never. never. Not sometimes, but never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. You might be in some of the lowest places financially, but when you're in the kingdom of God, when you're the righteousness of God in Christ and you're living for him, I promise you this, God will show up in, in, in the moments of your greatest need and bless you as long as you don't forget that as long as the earth exists, seed time and what? Harvest remain. So when you have a plan, right? When, when we have a plan, we're more likely to see what results when we have a plan, uh, the, the statement goes, he who, plans to, uh, who, he who fails to plan, plans to what? Fail. So heaven had a plan, and it was very generous with that plan. Amen? Here's how that plan manifested itself. It was moved with compassion. 
That plan manifested itself in this earth because it was moved with compassion. Listen to Mark 1, 40 through 41. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. And that leper was made, right? He was cleansed in that very moment. Let me say, Jesus getting close to him and looking to him and understanding that the, the, the language of heaven, if you will, the, the, the way heaven manifests itself is always going to be with compassion. There's always going to be at the at core of it compassion. Anytime you see Jesus doing a miracle, he sees where people are. Remember, the multitudes were sitting there. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God, you know, 5,000 plus, and they're hungry. And what does he say? He was moved with compassion. He said to his disciples, hey, give them something to eat. <laughs> his disciples are hanging out with him. They've seen multiple miracles. And he's like, hey, give them something to eat. And all of a sudden they're like, is he nuts? There's like thousands of people out here. What, would, what are we? We don't I mean, we got a few fishes and loaves here. Well, we can't feed all these people. And Jesus does what? He does what we do in communion every time. We recognize that God took his son. He blessed him. He broke him and he gave him to the world. Jesus takes the bread, the fish. He, he, he does what? He takes it. He, right? He blesses it. He breaks it and he gives it. And what happens is, is the multitude is fed off of very little. Why? Because while seed time and harvest remain, miracles are in the hand of God to increase what you receive as a result of your faith. Can you say amen? So compassion. Compassion is this, an awareness of the misfortune of, of another accompanied with the action to relieve it. An awareness of the misfortune of another accompanied with the action to relieve it. I am very aware when I am out in the community, when I'm at the gym, any place that I go, I'm very aware with the need that people have for salvation, to know Jesus, to know him as their Savior. That, that's the number one thing. I'm very aware of that. I can see it. And when I see that, my heart is gripped with compassion on how can I share Christ with that person that they might come to know that God loves them and that they have eternal life. That's always my first, that is my first goal. How can I do that? But that goal might manifest itself with a mom who's at, at, at a checkout line or something, right? Kids are freaking out. Moms, and you know, just anything you could do to help somebody. That, that manifests itself. I can be at the gym, and, and I say this all, like I go to work out at the gym, and, and somebody comes in, they know me. It's like, hey, how you doing? Da, da, da. It's like, hey, look, I'm going through this hard time. Da, da. It's like I'm staring at the, at, the, at the bench press that I just set up to do my workout. And they start dumping that their life is, is really turned upside down and I'm looking at that's my moment my moment to focus to you know to keep from having to buy new clothes because I gain weight so fast if I don't work out uh, all those things right it's my moment to use of my time my talent and my treasure treasure how are you using up your treasure uh, let's get a cup of coffee I'll get you a cup of coffee it's not a lot, but, you know, go get a cup of coffee. It's more than it used to be. Um, <laughs> and, and so we go get a cup of coffee. And also, I pay a gym membership. You know what I pay a gym membership to do? Work out. Uh, but it's okay. Why? Because that, I, I know what, what my first fruits 
of time need to go to, I don't necessarily always know when the first fruit of my time is going to be demanded. The first fruit being that God needs this time right now because there's somebody that needs God. Amen? Now, how do we do that? Let me give you a few things here. One, to, be, to live the generous life, we have to do this. We have to see life through the lens of eternity. Got to see life through the lens of eternity. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your, eye, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. I want to stop you right there and say this. Some people see the worst in every situation. There's a few different ways you could see how this, but I want to point this out to you. When I see people, they can be in the worst sin in their life, but I see how Jesus can save them. Not I look at that awful, wicked, wicked sinner. I look at how, you know, how can they know Jesus and be redeemed from the place that they're in. Can you hear what I'm saying? When, you're, when, you're, when your eyes, right, when your body's full of light, you see how the light can work in people's lives. But when it's full of darkness, all of a sudden, you're just seeing the worst about people. Make sure you guard that with everything that you have. So, um, but if your eyes are bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He, either he, he will hate the one and love the other, and he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see how Jesus wraps all this in there, and he brings money to that, to, you know, if you will, to the surface or to the light. That why, why money? Why does Jesus say you can't serve God and money? You'll love the one and you'll hate the other. Because again, nothing in this earth will, will make you feel more secure than if you've got enough food to put in your belly, you got shelter to cover your head, you got a car to drive around, you got clothes to put on, you've got all those things that can be deceptive and you can think that you're going through life all pleasant and good and the reality is, is you're on a road to destruction without Jesus. What he's saying is, is God needs to be first in our life. And God will test that in your life, and he does test it in your life by saying, bring the tithe into the store. He does challenge you on that. Why? Because he doesn't want you trusting in unrighteous mammon. He wants you to trust in him. And then as you, as you uh, go and work and you have money, money doesn't have you. You have it. Let, let, look at your money as if it's a weapon. You can accomplish and you can defeat so much evil in this earth and you can defeat so much unrighteousness in this earth by using your money for righteous means. Again, where your church is concerned, where your family's concerned, and where your world is concerned. What Jesus was trying to say is look through the lens of eternity. Make sure that you're storing up your treasures in heaven. And yes, you can have houses and homes and cars and all those things, but don't ever let them possess you and be the most important thing to your possessions should never possess you. You should possess them. Amen? Two, generosity leads, heart follows. Generosity leads and heart follows. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also once again. Now listen to this in Matthew 9, 35-36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness 
when he saw the, the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them. Jesus always had blessing. He was, he was a living, breathing, walking blessing. Full of it all the time. Full of blessing. And whenever he came, came upon a situation, he was able to extend that or impart that blessing. Why? Because he had a generous, compassionate heart. And in that, it's interesting, he didn't lack. Be a giver. Don't be a taker. Let, let, and this is what it says in Luke 2. It says um, that the given it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall what? God give into your bosom. Shall God give into your, into your storehouse, if you will. Nope. Man will. You will find favor not only with God, but you'll find favor with man. And what happens is his blessing will come into your life from all different ways. Ways that you may never have, have even guessed it. But it will come, and when it comes, don't ever see it that, well, I'm the one that did this for myself. Always see it that God's the one that's blessing you. Amen. And the third and, third and final, experience God's love for myself. Experience God's love for myself. Luke 7, 47. I tell you, here many, uh, excuse me, I tell you, her many sins were, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Get the proper scale there. Experience God's love for you. When, you. when you start to see, we all fall short. We all need Jesus. How great, how great is your need for Jesus? The greater you see your need is for Jesus, the more that you appreciate him and, and his way. Look, a way of compassion and be able to extend that to others. In other words, um, it won't be hard for you to be generous with others where forgiveness is concerned. It won't be hard to, to be generous to others where, where uh, blessing them or helping them out is concerned. Because you see that your God is a generous God. You see that your, your Savior is a compassionate Savior. And He does that for you. And so you're able to love on that level because you recognize how much God has loved you. Hey, here's a, here's a great way to see that. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul as I close. Hmm. Paul starts out and he gives his pedigree of why he qualifies to be an apostle. Kind of, he, he, he says, "I boast as a fool boasts, but, but you know, look, I was, you know, born a Jew, circumcised the eighth day, and what that had to do with is that if you were a Jew, you're circumcised on the eighth day. That was their law, their ritual, if you will, under the old covenant. Circumcised the eighth day, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He's going down this whole list of how he qualifies." so much to be who he is he gets to the end of all of that and he starts to lay it out as but I count all these things as dung a pile of crap sorry if that word offends you but it's what it was a pile of doo doo that I might know Jesus I know I'm a Jew I know I am you know if you will legitimate Jew I know I'm a Pharisee I know I've been trained I mean hey considering zeal you know Hey, I persecuted the church. I, I killed Christians. He has this experience with Christ. He counts that all as nothing, a pile of dung that he could know Jesus. I don't know what our pedigree is or the things we hold in high esteem or the stuff that we may hold in highest place in our life. But I know this, we need to become like Paul and count that as being nothing that we might know Christ. It's in that that the compassion and the love and the grace and blessing of God 
flow. It will not flow in arrogance. It will not flow in pride, saints. It will only flow from a place of humility, knowing how much God loves us and cares. When we get that right, and we know God loves us, it's easier to love other people. Amen? You know, Paul kind of comes to this. So he, he's talking about his pedigree and all those things. And then he gets to the place, he goes, look, you know, um, I, I'm the least among the saints. And then he comes, he's, he says, you know, uh, his, final, his final moment in life when he's getting ready to hang it all up and say, man, I've run my race, I've finished, I've done well with it. Here's what he says, I'm the chief among sinners. Now, how does a guy go from being this status we, he gave us more than two-thirds of the New Testament, and when he's wrapping up his Christian walk, what he does is he says, look, I'm the chief among sinners. I don't see myself as, as the greatest among the apostles, the greatest among saints, or even the least among saints, but rather I put myself up here as the chief among sinners. It's basically this. The way up is always down. The world teaches us, the ways of the world says, i got to climb my way to the top. And the kingdom of God says, the further I come down and humble myself, and become a servant, what happens is, is that it's not hard for me. When I see myself in that light of how much God has loved me, I'm able to love people a whole lot more than I used to because of that. Final, final scripture, 1 John 4.19, remember this, we love because he first loved us. My love for God is because of his love for me. My love for people is because of God's love for me. Everything in our life should originate looking back at the cross and understanding that God's generosity towards us manifested to us the greatest that we could possibly ever have, empowering us to be generous just like him. He'll invite you to come along, but he'll challenge you to be like him as you do. Amen. Stand to your feet if you would. Father, we love you and we thank you so much again for how generous you are with your love and compassion, your mercy and your grace. But Lord, today, may we not take for granted all the generosity that you showed us. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so, Father, may we not take that for granted. May we measure our life. May we assess that and say, how much am I like my Savior when it comes to living the generous life? How am I doing with my time? And how am I doing with my talent? And how am I doing with my treasure? Lord, let us be more like you as we uh, walk in, in relationship with with people uh, in our families, in our workplace, uh, God in the community, so that we, Father, can show forth the kingdom of God and they can feel that invitation, the gentle prompting of the Holy Spirit to come and, and, Father, to come into relationship with you so that they too, Father, would enter that narrow way, that rewarding, loving, precious way of Jesus Christ. We, we praise you and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said... Amen. Hey, God bless you and have a wonderful week. Listen, uh, can we do this uh, as we're going? Um, Zach.